welcome back to another episode of the Whole Brother Mission podcast. Today, we're talking about politics. As I know this is a hot topic, I have some friends on that I think will bring a helpful perspective to this, specifically from the conservative perspective. Now, I know a lot of people assume just because uh, black people are a large voting block for Democrats that all black people are Democratic. But there are a lot of black people that do vote Republican and that are conservative. And I would argue that black people tend to lean more conservative often than not as far as their personal views on things when you have those conversations. So uh, we're going to work through some of that nuance today, talk about the Capitol riots, as well as the rise in black male support for Trump in this most recent election. So I have two people I think are best fit to have this conversation. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. First, we have Felicia Killings. Felicia, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I appreciate the platform. Not a problem. Could you tell us more about your history uh, as far as your background in politics and and uh, what has garnered your interest specifically in, in being conservative? Mm-hmm. Certainly. So um, my family, my black family back in California, we were always raised conservative. My father has been a strong influence on my spiritual and philosophical beliefs. Um, And so all I've known really is conservatism and voting Republican. Um, In 2016, my virtual platform expanded on Facebook. Pretty much when I started to share that I intended to vote for Trump, Um, And so different dialogue began to emerge around that. Um, And pretty soon it just exploded into what we have now over on Twitter, which I call the conscious conservative movement. And our focus is to uh, demonstrate how conservative values are deeply embedded in um, Black Americans, Black black culture, and even our communities. But um, the Republican Party has an obligation to do better outreach. So that's what my focus is on. And since that time, we have just grown to over 20,000 different followers. And um, the message is just reaching millions every year. Perfect. I appreciate that. Thank you for that background. And second, we have a friend of mine, Sir Michael Singleton. Uh, You may have heard about him, about his uh, stint with the Trump administration, but I'll have I'll have him share more about that. Shamichael, welcome. Bring that up. I wasn't even going to mention that. <laughs> oh, anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Tell us more. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I am a big supporter of Whole Brother Mission, everything that it represents as an organization. And as you know, I've done my best to try to support the organization. And yes. You know, I've made myself available to continue to support the organization wherever you guys may see fit. Um, as Malik said, I did work for the Trump administration. You know, sometimes I like to leave that out when I do these types of things. <laughs> uh, but I was a deputy chief of staff to Dr. Ben Carson at HUD. I was fired after about two months into the role based on an article that I had written about three weeks before the November election uh, on President Trump criticizing him, stating that I thought personally that the party could have gone with a better person. Beyond Carson, I worked for Mitt Romney, and I also worked for Newt Gingrich. Outside of the political things, I've been a CNN commentator. I still off and on do some stuff at MSNBC, although I no longer have a contract with them. I'm sort of trying to leave politics, like the rest of you guys are probably gonna watch this thing. Politics is not fun. (laughs) It's tiring. It's stressful as hell. As Felicia can tell you, there's a lot of people yes. who are full of crap. And you got to have the right type of 
temperament to deal with those people. And unfortunately, my temperament to deal with those people, it's, it's run dry. I have no more. <laughs> uh, I've been focusing on creating new content in other places. And that's really panned out uh, really, really well for me as from a business perspective and a financial perspective. So I've sort of found something to use all the political skill sets, but in an arena that doesn't have me not sleeping, but four hours a night. So I don't know how you do it, Felicia. <laughs> with uh with grace and with patience <laughs> absolutely yeah so yes. thank you thank you both for sharing i'm sorry for bringing up uh that that part of your part of your history but you he know, ain't sorry he ain't sorry don't don't fall for he's not sorry but no i think it's it's helpful in terms of the conversation mm -hmm. that we're having today here's why so i know that some black now i've spoken to you personally but i do think a lot of times we don't understand uh, other people's experience and perspectives as they engage in these things. Now, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I have a lot of people that I'm aware of, specifically black people that are on the conservative side of things. And uh, and all honesty, a lot of the stuff that I see is discouraging. And I would I say, honestly, I say this privately and publicly, a lot of it is cooning. And I feel like it's 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 it's, it's, it's an embarrassment. Some of the things that I see now I'm of the perspective that we need to have hard conversations as well. And for the longest, I've been looking to have a dialogue mm -hmm. with a black Trump supporter. Uh, and mm -hmm. I can tell you now, after years of searching, you two are the first two <laughs> that have been at least willing to have some type of dialogue. And I've seen you engage mm -hmm. in other spaces and deal with hard topics rather than being evasive changing the subject mm -hmm. or just feigning ignorance on major topics. So that has been my experience. And I wanted to share it with others that there are people who have thought through this and it's not just all a show because some of the stuff mm -hmm. that we see more commonly ends up being the extreme example of a black Republican or a black conservative. So who are you talking about, Malik? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't mind saying it, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I'm just I, you guys are here to share. Yeah, don't <laughs> see. But you know what? Just like you're you're approaching freedom, I have found that place well. So I, I could say it if I wanted to, because I'm good. <laughs> but I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear from you guys. So uh, I, I brought that up specifically, though, because I know some would say, well, why would a black man work for Trump at all? Some would say sure. that. Well, why would you even do that? So you you help uh, bring us in on the thought process behind uh, not specifically working for Trump, because I, I doubt that, you know, you saw it as, hey, I want to support him directly, but more so the mindset behind opportunities in politics and sure. uh, ways to advance policy for black people, because I know that that was part I mean, of your perspective. It's, it's um people always ask that question like, all the time, like you wrote the article, then you went to work for the guy. It doesn't make any sense. And the answer to that is pretty simple. I mean, I was asked by Dr. Carson to go in with him as one of his longer trusted advisors, help him make the best decisions at HUD. And I did give us some serious thought, man, because I wasn't, I wasn't completely sure that it was something I wanted to do. And when I thought about it, I talked to my parents about it, talked to my grandparents about it and gave it even more consideration. And then I realized if I'm at the department with Dr. Carson. One, I'm away from the White House. Yes, I'm going to have to deal with individuals from the White House. That's a part of the job and everything that comes from the White House. It's going to sprinkle on to the particular agency that I was at at the time. And you navigate those things. You, you get used to that in politics, navigating things as a part of the process. Uh, but for me, what was more pertinent than anything else 
was the potential good that I could potentially impact through housing policy. And when you think about wealth creation it's in this country, one of the disadvantages that African-Americans have when compared to white Americans is we don't own our homes, man. And, and when we do have homes that are owned in the family, when someone passes like a grandmother or a grandfather, we typically sell them off very quickly. So you have those two, two things as a, as a sort of a quagmire, if you will. And then you follow it up with, with single mothers who rely on Section 8 vouchers. And there's a lot of impeccable data on how you can utilize vouchers in a very, very net positive way that would be very uh, fundamentally positive for the child as far as educational advancement and eventually work and financial advancement. So it was all of those different variables, Malik, that I took into consideration from a policy perspective. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, Trump, you know, Trump is Trump. Trump has his issues or whatever. Yeah, some people are gonna criticize me for working for him, but there is a far bigger picture here that I am looking at. And that was the potential good that I could do at the agency by helping advise the secretary on the best policies to make as far as housing regulations and how those regulations impact people, generally speaking, but more specifically, African-American people. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a helpful perspective that, and it was helpful for me to see it too, that it's not always the extreme examples as we mentioned, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's a strategy thing. And sometimes people recognize I can do some good here if we can silence some of the foolishness and the noise. So Felicia as well, could you mm -hmm. speak to the conscious conservative movement, but also your engagement on the right side of things, as far as mm -hmm. you're seeing the ability to push forward progress specifically for black people? Certainly. Um, before I jump into that one, you'll probably have to remind me of the question, but I wanted to get back to the question you asked about how can um, Black mm -hmm. Americans also be a Trump supporter. Um, so I, my background actually comes from the evangelical space as well. So for those who are not familiar, um, these are individuals, the evangelicals make up like primarily white. Um, and so we have a few individuals there who are Black. So in our space, it's very um, normal for evangelical prophets to come in and say the Republican candidate for this year is the one that God has chosen. And this has been actually the history over the last, oh my gosh, three, four decades. So this is the upbringing that some of us who have been in this space are acclimated to. So for me, voting for Trump just seemed a natural thing to do. Now, having said that, I'm still very much so the type of person who will say, if you do not do what I voted for you to do, I'm going to rain down fire on your head. Like, that's just what I'm going to do. So what folks have seen over in Twitter or even when I was on Facebook a lot is a lot of criticism, is a lot of, you know, pushback because my, my focus is really on the messaging how is this message actually going to resonate with Black voters who are conservative in their values, but who are not voting for conservative politics that would actually be influential for their economics? And so my focus, again, has been more so on the outreach, more so on the messaging. And for that reason, because a lot of conservatives who are used to, as you talked about, the buffoonery, um, they're used to that kind of messaging it was difficult for them to receive something that was more so empowering, something that was more so about being pro-Black history or being pro-Black 
anything, you know, because if if you saw us two years ago, I mean, it was hell. I was getting beat up on Twitter a lot um, because I was just saying something else can be done in order to make the conservative tent expand and be more attractive because we have to grow. If we don't grow, then um, Republicans will just continue to lose left and right. So that has been my avenue. Now, if you can, just kindly remind me of the last question you just asked. Uh, but I do want to get that, that <laughs> right. question answered. No, I completely understand. So my, my second question, uh, the, the one directed to you, was more so uh, bringing us in on the conscious conservative movement, uh, but also specifically uh, as it relates to the right side of things, uh, of politics, mm -hmm. what you were able to see as things you can do to progress uh, life and mm -hmm. the experience uh, of Black people by engaging mm -hmm. on the right side of things. Excellent. So um, our focus within the conscious conservative movement as it pertains to Black voters is to push what I call dual domination. So we all know that uh, Black Americans vote Democrat at least 90%, and then the other 10% will just say are Republicans. The idea is that Black Americans should always have political options, whether there is a Republican in office or a Democrat in office. They should always know that their rights are going to be protected, that they are not going to be infringed. They should have an exercise political power. Well, in order for that to happen, and this is a message that has actually resonated with other Black voters in my Twitter class, in order for that to happen, the right has to become more accepting and appealing in their message, in their policies, dot, dot, dot. And so that's what we are working on when it comes to the conscious conservative movement. We've started a media network where we have different content creators who are sharing stories or lessons or teachings that come from this authentic history. So as you spoke about earlier about the nuance, that's what we bring to the conservative movement. Typically, you'll see the dimwits on the platform saying dumb things like, you know, black people are slaves on a Democrat plantation. Well, they're a dimwit. So we come at them with some hard truths. We talk to, talk to them about spiritual laws and this, that and the other. And in doing so, what we're trying to do is break down these racial barriers that are very prominent. They're very strong on the right. And um, it, it, in order for them to come down, it does require great a great deal of teaching, a great deal of patience, um, but it is working. So I can I can attest to that. Definitely. So here's the next thing I want to bring up, and I know it's a, mm -hmm. it's a hard question to answer because it makes it feel as if though the weight of all the foolishness is on you, but it's just yeah. a real thing that people are thinking through. It's okay as a black person. Um, I doubt you two are the ones that would say, if I say to you, well, how do you support someone who's who's racist or who, who seems racist or whatever the case may be? I doubt you guys will be the type to say, what are you talking about? And cause that's, <laughs> in my experience, a lot of black conservatives, when you bring up racism and the fact that people view Trump and others in his administration that way, they're confounded. What are you talking about? What racism? Why are you saying that? Who? So from your perspective, uh, in terms of strategy and accomplishing things for black people, uh, how do you reconcile some of the racist rhetoric and actions that we've seen from the previous administration and still voting or working on that side of politics? Whoever wants to take it first. Okay. I mean, look, 
I will let people make whatever determination they want to make about President Trump and the people who work for them on their own. I, I think that your listeners and viewers are smart enough to make that discernment. Uh, but with that said, Malik, what we cannot afford, and I always try to get African-Americans to understand this when I say, well, we shouldn't work with Republicans. We as a marginalized group of people, we're behind every single demographic group according to every data metric for the most part, including Hispanics, who are now the majority, including Asian-Americans, who are now the fastest growing minority group. We can't afford to say because we do not like the words, the language, and perhaps even some of the policies that are coming from a particular party that we're going to completely disengage. Malik, I've told you this before. Do you, if that was the case, there would be no civil rights. I mean, seriously, there would be no civil rights if black people said, you know what, Lyndon B. Johnson uses the N-words too much. The guy's too much of a racist. <laughs> work for him a racist. I mean, they were using horrible language. This stuff is on, on audio. We would not have made any strides whatsoever as a community of people if we had that mentality. But the thought process behind those civil rights leaders was simply, we cannot afford to wait on the government. We cannot afford to wait on another racial group to help us progress. We have to do it ourselves. And in the process of doing that, that is going to mean we're going to have to work with the very people who likely do not like us. And, and, and when you have that type of strategic mindset, it's not that you look past things that may bother you. It's not that you look past things that are downright dehumanizing and despicable. It is that I recognize them. But in spite of those things, there is something bigger here that I'm trying to accomplish and achieve. Therefore, I am going to have to play ball with these people because, Malik, if you don't play ball, then you're sitting at the court side. And if you're sitting by the court side, you're, you're not winning anything, man. You're not getting you're, you're not progressing. You're, you're not getting that necessary experience to help generations down the line figure out how to better navigate things so that they're better off than you. And, and so I don't think we, we can afford to have the mindset of a person is in office. We do not like them. We do not like the rhetoric. Therefore, we're just going to completely disengage. We're not going to try to work with them on some things wherever possible. And Malik, working with someone does not mean you acquiesce. That's another thing. People think, well, if you're working with them, that means you're just all in. No, it does not. You can work with someone on the things that benefit you and still march like hell. Again, prime example, civil rights. There were there are so many stories, man, of civil rights leaders working with very white, racist individuals while simultaneously protesting very racist white individuals. It, it, it's not a you're all in or nothing. You can have a two-pronged approach strategy here to say, all right, we got to keep the fire up on these people because they're not living up to the expectations that are enshrined in the Constitution. However, they are currently in power right now. We need to figure out what in the heck we can get out of them while also turning up the heat. And, and I think that's the mindset that African-Americans have to have writ large if, if we are to continue to see progress. But again, I think it is completely um, short-sighted, if you will, to think that if an administration is in office, that we do not like, or parties in power that we do not like, we're merely going to disengage. Maybe we'll protest here and there, and that's gonna be it. Well, Malik, four years, eight years is a long time. A whole lot of policies can change in that time span. And while we're not engaging, there could potentially be things that even further negatively impacts our community. And so we, we need to think about these things um, more in depth than we do. We need to think about these things as far as the nuances, like Felicia was saying, as far as some of her conversations with trying to get other African-Americans to think about these things differently. Again, this cannot be a zero-sum game 
we don't have that luxury, Malik, because every other group surpassing us. There is no reason whatsoever why, when you look at most metrics, we're still falling behind. Hell, some metrics, we made progress, and now we're going backwards again. You think about all these little dynamics, and it's like you guys want to fight about, well, we don't like them. We don't like that party, so we're not going to try to have conversations and debate with them. All we're going to do is protest. Yes, protest. Yes, raise your voice. Yes, boycott. Do all of those things. But at the same time, there's a political process, and you need to navigate that process if you are to see anything favorable to your group. Because if not, then you can't wait four years or eight years and say, well, damn, this really sucked. We'll just wait for the Democrats to come back. Some things could be so, so negative, right, as far as the, the impact that they could have on our community. Waiting four years, waiting eight years may not be enough. And, yeah, there are some African-Americans who are middle class, who are wealthy, who will always be okay. But there's a vast majority who are not in those classes, and they will not be okay. And waiting nearly 10 years potentially could have a lot of negative impacts on those people, man, that could take generations to potentially change. And so the mindset for us as a group of people, we have to not be so emotional. And I hate to say this because I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but we need to be more calculating and strategic in the way we approach and assess politics in this country, because if we are not, we're going to continue to lose. I will say I have learned from some that are more directly involved that, yeah, the perspective is you kind of have to be a callous person to get what you want out of this political system. It's not it's not made for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's not it's not made for those that are sensitive. It's just getting in to get what you want out of it, because the, everyone's coming into it with their end and their uh, a means to their end, so to speak. Felicia, did he hit all the major keys or do you have anything you'd like to add to that? <laughs> yeah, that is exactly it. That goes back to what I was saying about dual domination. Black Americans cannot afford to wait around four years or eight years before they flex political might. And by flexing political might, I'm not just talking about showing up at the booth. I'm also talking about having actual policies that are going to directly benefit Black communities. So when somebody brings up Trump and they say, you know, Trump is a racist, how can you support him? I say, well, look at Biden. He has a whole track record of being a, a full-blown white supremacist if you guys want to take it there. Um, but even still, I don't try to uh, uh, persuade other folks to say, you know, no, Trump's really not racist. I really don't care. You know, I can't persuade somebody else to think a certain way about Trump if they don't want to. That's not my, my mission. I'm just trying to show how politics is like business. And you can't just disassociate from the whole political structure simply because you don't like Trump. Uh, or you don't like Republicans. Well, how about supporting the Black voices on the right who know how to deal with somebody like Trump? Why not connect with them? Why not support them? Why not support these movements over here that are doing it the authentic way? So that when a Republican is in office, we can be the ones responsible to be the mediator or the negotiator or whatever it is that you wanna call it. And then when it flips, and there's a Democrat in office, I should be able to know exactly who to contact at the White House to say, guess what? Black communities are, are suffering from X, Y, and Z over here. Who do I talk to? So that's what I mean by dual domination. I should be able to know who to access on the Democrat side if it has something to do with the Black agenda. 
in like manner, Black voters should know, okay, I'm going to contact those within the conscious conservative movement because I know they have access and we can start to get more things done. That is what I mean by that dual domination. So at bare minimum, if somebody is Black and they say, I can't vote for Republicans because they're racist or because of Trump, well, okay, fine. We'll, we will do the work up here, but you're going to have to support us, support the authentic voices. And over time, I hope to see, at least in my lifetime, at least 50% voting Republican, 50% voting Democrat, just so we can have a real balance of power. And as Sher Michael was mentioning, we're not waiting four years or eight years um, just because a Republican is in office. Felicia, you mentioned uh, evangelicals. Before yes. working with the Whole Brother Mission, I did uh, work in the university space at white evangelical schools. I was the diversity guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so okay. I had to deal with white evangelicals yes. as it relates to race relations. Uh, very frustrating experience. Zero out of 10. Yes. Wouldn't recommend. But I will say this. <laughs> uh, one thing that I noticed is... Uh, well, I'll say this. I appreciate you guys presenting the perspective of engaging on both sides so that black people have leverage. You're not going to yeah. the extreme of just saying, well, get off the uh, Democratic plantation and just come all over to the, the right side and then we'll be good. <laughs> uh, so I, I get that. It's about leverage. So I hope people are hearing that point. But another aspect that I think is important, because I do think that as much as Sean Michael said, you got to take your emotions out of politics. Black people are emotional. <laughs> so you know that is that's that's a hard thing to do sometimes and here here's an example of how i think we may not be seeing some of the how the emotional aspect can play a part into what we see practically so uh in those evangelical spaces um black people that are knowledgeable of history that speak about black empowerment and us specifically and not just uh race neutral things, but specifically talking about our experience just as much as other people talk about the American experience when they actually mean white people. Uh, evangelicals don't prioritize black voices like that. Uh, they platform black voices that a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, black people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You think about a Clarence, a Clarence Thomas, or you think about uh, uh, people who tend to have what is considered a minority perspective as it relates to black people. And my concern on the conservative side of things is I understand the work that you two have done, but I mentioned to you this to you earlier, Felicia, what I've noticed is in conservative politics, the black voices that get platformed, who can speak of Tim Scott, I don't see them speaking up for black people. It almost seems as if, uh, part of the vetting to rise to prominence within conservative politics for a black person is to shed yourself of your blackness. Those are the people that I see platformed. And I can at least say on the democratic side of things, I see black people that are able to speak more freely to talk about the black experience and to be black specific in their policy demands. So how would you respond to this kind of shedding of cultural uh, knowledge in terms of on the right side of things and the voices that they platform. I mean, yeah, to, oh, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, um, that's what we try to push within the conscious conservative movement. And that's one of the reasons why I added that adjective conscious, 
We're conscious of being Black. We are conscious of American history and Black history. We're conscious of spiritual laws. So on the right, they have been conditioned or indoctrinated in their own history. So their history is embedded with, you know, things were just fine and Black people already got what they needed. Why talk about reparations if, you know, they have their freedom? And they, they, they have their own indoctrination centers, if you will. And that's just the space. So when talking about evangelicals as well, they have been taught certain things over decades. So here we have this voice and these teachings that come forth that go against their traditional way of thinking. That's what we're battling over here. And it's working only because I say my platform has grown. And the collective, if you want to say like with Sonny Johnson, with Shermichael, with Jeff Charles and others, because we've built this kind of con you know network conglomerate, if you will, now conservatives who are a part of this space are starting to feel comfortable with realizing that the history they've been taught is not in fact authentic. It is this watered down version of American history. So they're going through their own cognitive dissonance. They're going through their own reconditioning, if you will, um, but, but it does take time. So for those who are being elevated on the right and they have a black face, it's because of the tradition. You know, those black faces say the things that the white donors love to hear. They say the things that the evangelicals love to hear. Again, it's a business thing, right? If you want to sell a product or a service, you tell folks what they need to hear in order to buy into that person. So this was really the first time when we saw so many different voices at one time pushing back against the talking points or pushing back against what I consider to be racist rhetoric and saying we're not going to tolerate that anymore because that does not represent authentic conservatism. So that's how we've been able to battle it. It, it really comes from teaching um, beloved conservatives. I'm Olivia Morgan, intake coordinator here at the Whole Brother Mission. I'm here to pass on a little information about how you can join us in helping men in need seek licensed professional counselors nationwide. Number one, ask. Ask if your employer participates in matching donations. Many employers will match your gift to a nonprofit. We are a 501c3, so all gifts are tax deductible. Number two, pass. Pass this video as well as our website onto others so that they are aware of our services and our need of support. And number three, give. If you're able to, please consider giving. The proceeds remove barriers for men seeing a culturally competent mental health professional, and they support our upcoming HBCU book tour. Thank you for your time. Got it. Shamichael, you got something? I that? mean, look, I, I think everything Felicia said was accurate. I would also say that Black people should support some of those conscious conservatives that Felicia's talking about. I've worked for a lot of candidates a lot of on a lot of campaigns, including some African-American conservatives. And what I have found in, in that experience as a strategist, the conservatives that are black that I think would probably find resonance with other regular black people don't get the support from black people. I mean, I've literally seen black people vote for a white Democrat over a black conservative. And I'm not talking about one who's considered or perceived extreme in their rhetoric. I'm talking about someone who's like, I'm very in touch with myself as an African-American I understand my background, my culture, my history, 
I'm still in the neighborhood. I just happen to be a Republican. I don't agree with a lot of things Democrats support and the black people will vote for the white Democrat. And so to me, it's it's like, it's one thing that to ask, well, look at the type of Republicans, those white Republicans, you know, support, or, or look at the black Republicans that those white Republicans give a platform to. Well, black people, where are the black Republicans that we as a community are giving platform to? Mm-hmm. Or are we falling into the trap of, we can't vote for this person who looks like us, who likely has the same val- values, clearly has a, generally speaking, similar background as us as far as growing up, especially if they're in the same neighborhood that a lot of African-Americans are coming from. But yet we're going to vote for the white Democrat because the white guy is a Democrat and the black guy is a Republican. I mean, it's that kind of nonsensical stuff, man, that just does not make any sense to me. Like I was saying earlier, black people, we, we need to stop looking to other people to save us. Nobody is going to save us but ourselves. That doesn't mean you don't criticize the system or the entities within the system, the system being government that is, to do better. That does not mean you don't hold politicians accountable for the lack of a job that they're doing, right? We, we don't want deleterious impacts continuously impacting us more so than anybody else. We clearly want the same type of change in progress as every other group in the country. And, and we should demand those things. But we also need to become more insular in our outlook about our progress as a community of people. You know, nowadays everyone's talking about, oh, our allies, our allies of this group and our allies of that. It's great to have friends. I have nothing wrong, Malik, with having friends. But from my perspective, we need to be focused as a community on what is it going to take for us internally to get ourselves to the next level while simultaneously trying to better the political system as a whole. And you do that while not relying, again, on other Mm -hmm. people. Like you see a lot of these movements, I'll give you a prime example and then I'll, I'll let you go to the next thing. We can look at shooting, for example, right? That was black on black crime. A lot of Republicans bring this up, but a lot of black women for decades, Malik, have been talking about violence in our communities. Even a lot of black fathers have talked about how do we better violence in our community. If you go all the way back, I think about a hundred years now, even W.B. Du Bois talked about violence, literally their writings of him writing about violence within our community. So this isn't a new phenomenon. And yet now today it's been co-opted by white people. And now it's a priority. Now it's a cultural pandemic. Now something must be done. And I'm using that as an example to, to showcase and highlight why we need to deal with our problems ourselves. We don't need to go looking to other people to fix them. We have the intelligence. We have the financial resources if we pull all of our money together. We're going to have to make sacrifices. We are going to have to be disciplined as heck. It will not happen overnight. That means we're going to have to drastically change the way we do a whole lot of things in order to see the progress that I believe could come from that type of insular look within the community. But the question is, are we disciplined enough to even do that? And I don't think we are. So before I can even get into, well, look at what white Republicans are doing and look at the black people they're elevating, my question to black people is simply this, who in the heck are you elevating? Not every black conservative is, is a quote unquote extreme voice. There are a ton of them, Felicia just talked about it, who understand where they come from. We'll never forget who they are. But again, so many of us would rather go with the white Democrat if that is an option over the black Republican. So. You know, I, I can't even talk about what the hell white Republicans are doing because look at what we're doing. 
I mean, yeah. we got to start with ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Understood. Uh, so we're running short on time, but I do want to hit on two things before before we head out. So Felicia, I'll allow you to go first. Two things. Thoughts okay. on the Capitol riots. And okay. second thing, what should, be black, what, what should black people be doing under a Biden-Harris administration? Those two things. Go for it. You first, Felicia. Okay. Uh, first of all, the Capitol riots, were they were a disgrace. I remember watching it and thinking to myself, what the heck is going on here? Um, it was one of those surreal moments. It's kind of like watching 9-11 and you, you think you're on in a movie or something. That's kind of how I felt watching the Capitol riots. Um, I was angry with Trump because he did not, in my opinion, immediately go out there and um, make some kind of speech or something to tell them to go away. Or I just felt like he was too late on it. I didn't like that Biden, who wasn't even the president at the time, had made some kind of speech prior. Uh, so it was a very um, difficult scene to watch. I was also bothered because uh, these there were so many different folks who either were injured or, you know, had to go to jail. I mean, it was just a whole what you watched are broken people. That's what Sonny calls it. Broken people doing broken things. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of brokenness on the right. You have so many of them who believe the entire election uh, system was just they just they feel bamboozled. So there's there's that carnage on the right as of right now. So we have to deal with that. Um, but those were my thoughts. I was completely baffled by it. To answer your second question, Black voters must hold the Biden-Harris administration accountable with the same fire and the same zeal that we held Trump's feet to the fire. Um, Black voters have to do the same thing. And one of my criticism um, right when Biden got into office was, you know, Black voters, where, where's your voice? Why aren't you checking him as it relates to that Black agenda? I mean, everybody else, they're getting their, their voices heard. Everybody else is, you know, illegals are getting this and da-da. So where is the Black voice in order to hold the feet to the fire? And even, even now, it's still very minimal. I see a couple of voices who are who voted for Biden and Harris. They're trying to speak up, but I'm just like, it can't be just two people. It mm -hmm. has to be a collective voice. So for me, on my end, what I'm trying to do is move so more so into teaching more about dual domination. What does it look like to hold a politician's foot to the fire as opposed to just voting for them and then saying, well, if they don't do the job, then I won't vote for them four years later. No, every day they need to know that you are around. Every day they need to hear your voice. And if they know that, okay, we'll come to your community right before election and then not say, not say you see you or say anything to you later. Okay, well, now they're pimping your vote. And I, I have a problem with that. You know, I find it to be disrespectful. So my my advice to black voters is if he told you that he has a whole agenda. You need to be on him every day. You need to find that access point and you need to get your voice heard directly. So um, until I see that happening, you know, I'll probably continue to make jokes <laughs> about Biden on Twitter. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I, I've seen the jokes. They're, 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 they're quality content. Uh, thank you. Sir Michael, uh, thoughts on the Capitol riots and what yep. should black people be doing I, under a Biden-Harris administration? Yeah, no, I'll be really quick here. Look, I think what happened at the Capitol was, a, as Felicia said, it was atrocious. It shouldn't have occurred. I was there. I was actually uh, covering that for content that I create. And you know, there were people there who clearly did not go into the Capitol, who clearly did not destroy things. And, and, and I think we need to always make that degree of separation. We don't do that enough. We just say all oh, those people and we lump everybody together. We got to really stop doing that. It's just not even logical. But those who did uh, commit those violence, uh, those acts of violence rather, should be arrested. Every last one of them should be arrested and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, case closed. As it pertains to Biden, you know, look, back to what I was saying, man, we, we need to stop looking to these people like they're like there's some white hope, like the white savior. Um, I hope Biden does well. He's the president. I want him to do well. I would like Kamala Harris as a vice president to do well. I don't have a lot of trust and faith in either of them. Um, I mean, I think at best, if you're looking for, quote unquote, normalcy, maybe you, you're probably going to see that with Biden, because just the way President Trump governed and the way Biden governs is just drastically different. And I think we can all acknowledge that. But with that said, do I expect a whole lot? I, I'm not necessarily sure. Um, I've listened to certain things that have come from this administration. I look at some of the potential policy agendas yet to come, and I see this as another crumbs from the table. And again, I say to black people, at what point do you get sick of this? At what point do you say we're not going to continue to overwhelmingly support a party merely because we don't like the other party and we're okay with the crumbs. We're okay with Biden appointing or selecting rather a woman who of African descent to be his, his uh, running mate. We're okay with Biden selecting a few black people to be in his cabinet position. That's good enough for us. That ain't good enough for me. I need to see some real results. Let me see an increase in, in black housing and home ownership. Then I'm happy. Let me see an increase and uh, black wealth, then I'll be happy. Let me see an increase in better transportation in black neighborhoods, then I'm happy. Until I see any of those things, I could care less who Biden uh, points as far as appointees in his administration. I could care less about him uh, appointing uh, Kamala Harris, again, a woman of African descent, her father being Jamaican, that is, uh, to be his running mate. Those things are all meaningless. And there are no uh, quantifiable, measurable movements in the things that really matter the most to us, health, education, wealth. If those things don't change drastically, then what in the hell did black people vote for Joe Biden for? I mean, seriously, what, what, was, the, what was the point if there is no quantifiable movement in any of the considerable categories that we're still lagging in, Malik, when you compare us to every other group? Man, even Hispanics. Are, I was just reading a, a study a couple months ago. I think it was from the Brookings Institute or one of the think tanks. Even Hispanics are now surpassing black people as far as college education. I mean, how in the hell is that even possible, man? Seriously, how is that possible? So black people need to wake the heck up and, and get over this kumbaya thing, if that is what some are feeling, and say, no, we have to continue to hold Biden and, and Democrats accountable. We have to hold their feet to the fire because we cannot continue to be left behind. But again, it's not enough to just hold those people accountable. We have to hold ourselves accountable. And that goes back to what I said again about Ben Insular, looking internally at our own problems and figuring out what we need to do, not anybody else, we need to do to better things for ourselves. You cannot expect somebody else to treat you better than you treat yourself. And I think Malcolm X spoke eloquently about this, even when Malcolm X 
came back from Mecca and decided, you know what, maybe we should uh, befriend white people and maybe there is some level of allyship that may be potentially beneficial. One thing that didn't change from all of the various stages of him, at least three main ones, if you will, was the fact that black people have to look internally, see what our problems are, and then figure out how do we change them. And I don't think we're doing that enough. So you guys may have today converted some people to conservatism. You just may have. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say that that last speech that Michael gave sounded like the precursor to a singleton killings or killing singleton campaign in the future that's what it felt like to be honest with you <laughs> under what party i don't know under what party i don't know but I, I felt it so for those that want to connect with you felicia you go first how can people follow up with you certainly you can go to twitter i am at coach felicia you can also go to the conscious conservative media network you can become a member for free thanks to our beloved sponsors and there is where you can receive different content where we discuss more of what we talked about during this podcast. Shermichael. Follow me on Twitter, Shermichael underscore. <laughs> I mean, I'm slowly getting away from this political stuff. So Felicia's probably <laughs> a better person to follow if you are really wanting to gain that political knowledge. I mean, you know, I still do my writing. I still comment on some things here and there, but I'm not the way I used to. So, I mean, follow me if you want the unabashed truth about politics, but seriously, follow Felicia if you really want to get a better understanding of how we as a community of people um, can progress by embracing more of an independent uh, political value system. And by that, I mean, you look at the system as a whole and say, Democrat, Republican, we're not going all in for either side. We're gonna be strategic. And that means we need some on this side some on the other side and felicia is, is the person i would you know tell everybody to follow yeah. that type of knowledge thank right. you thank you thank you both for joining me and thank you for listening this has been another episode of the whole brother mission podcast